Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr, and this is the Endocrine News Podcast. Today, we're talking about obesity, infertility, and a lifestyle intervention program called Fit for Fertility. Joining me is Dr. Matea Belen from the University of Sherbrooke in Quebec, Canada. She recently presented her research at Endo 2021, and her abstract was titled, Cost-Effectiveness Analysis of an Interdisciplinary Lifestyle Intervention Targeting Women with Obesity and Infertility in Comparison to Usual Care. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Belen. Thank you very much for having me. I'm pretty happy to be here. So what is the relationship between obesity and infertility? Well, obesity is a known factor for infertility in women. Uh, some studies have reported that obesity is associated with irregular menses and ovulatory disorders, such as the polycystic ovary syndrome. It's a syndrome that affects around 10% of women of childbearing age, and it has two main characteristics. The first one is being an ovulatory disorder. So usually it's irregular menses, and that's why it's associated to infertility. And the second one is the presence of a biochemical or a clinical hyperandrogenism, so higher levels of male reproductive hormones in, in women. But some studies have also suggested that obesity could have a direct negative impact on the female fertility, even in ovulatory women. So the exact mechanisms by which obesity onsets ovulatory disorders are not quite known yet, but the main hypothesis currently in the scientific literature suggests that it may implicate insulin resistance, but some studies have also uh, mentioned systemic inflammation, which is associated with obesity, or even the oxidative stress could also be some causes for infertility in women with obesity, but these elements haven't been well studied yet and have mainly been assessed in animal models. So we don't know exactly by which mechanisms obesity will affect a woman's fertility, but we do know that women with obesity have higher risks of having trouble conceiving. And it's also important to mention that obesity would also decrease the effectiveness of fertility treatments in women with obesity. So these women will often need higher doses of medication, for example, ovulatory stimulants, or even more cycles of treatments in order to conceive compared to women with a healthy weight. In your Endo 2021 abstract, you mentioned that lifestyle modification is considered as the first-line treatment for women with obesity and infertility. So what do you mean by lifestyle modification, and why is that the first-line treatment? Well, when we look at the major guidelines for infertility management, which are published by associations and organizations working in the field of fertility, for example, in the USA, you'll have the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. Well, they all suggest that lifestyle modification with a weight loss of 5 to 10% should be recommended as a first-line treatment for women with obesity and infertility. Because some studies have suggested that it could improve the ovulatory frequency, the spontaneous pregnancy rate, and the effectiveness of the fertility treatments in women with obesity. Even though there aren't a lot of these studies well suggesting women to improve their lifestyle habits, such as eating better and doing more physically active activity, it isn't really dangerous, but the problem is we know it's not easy to change our lifestyle habits, and currently there are no integrated resources 
or lifestyle programs integrated in the fertility clinics to help these women improve their lifestyle habits. And we know that the other resources available are usually costly and not easily accessible to these women. Your study specifically looked at the interdisciplinary lifestyle intervention program named Fit for Fertility. Can you tell us a little bit about this program? Absolutely. It's a program that we developed for our study, the Obesity Fertility Study. And the program included individual sessions with health professionals such as a dietitian and a kinesiologist. These professionals use a technique called the motivational communication which engages the patient to set himself or herself some realistic, specific, and measurable goals, depending on her past experiences, her interests, her context, and etc. So it's really in order to make lifestyle changes, but they're going to be durable in time and not do something very short and intense. The program also included group sessions, including workshops on different topics regarding nutrition, motivation, these women were also introduced to different types of physical activity so that these women could experiment different physical activities and maybe find something that they loved and be enough motivated to continue to do that physical activity on their own for the rest of the week. It's also important to mention that women in the intervention group, so women who had access to the Fit for Fertility program, had to postpone or stop using fertility treatments during their first six months of participation. If they did not become pregnant during those first six months, well, then they had access to fertility treatments, but they also continued the individual sessions with the dietitian and kinesiologist until the end of the 18 months of follow-up or until the end of the pregnancy, which is pretty unique to our study because we continued to follow these women during pregnancy and usually this this type of, of uh, studies stop following women uh, as soon as they're pregnant. A big focus of your study was cost effectiveness. What are the considerable costs for this patient group? And then also, what are the costs associated with an intervention program like Fit for Fertility? For the cost effectiveness analysis, we were very exhaustive and precise in the cost resources we collected. We looked at the cost from three main perspectives. So the first one was the society's perspective. The second one was the health system's perspective. And the third one was the patient's perspective. The society's perspective is the more broad perspective. It includes the health system, the patients, and also the private health insurance perspective. So it's very large perspective. And we don't really talk about the private health insurance perspective in our study because here in Quebec, Canada, it's a very small percentage of the costs that are covered by private health insurance. We have a public health insurance and it's integrated in the health system. So the two main perspectives for our study were the health systems and the patients. If we look only at the health system's perspective, well, we looked at the costs related to all the human resources implicated in the Fit for Fertility program and the fertility treatments as well. So mainly the health professional fees, including doctors, nurses, kinesiologists, dietitians, and all other health professionals implicated. We also looked at the costs related to different uh, medical tests and exams, for example, blood draws or ultrasounds. And we also looked at the costs associated to any material resources needed for the Fit for Fertility program or the different medical follow-ups. So papers, needles, whatever material was needed. 
And we also finally look at all the fertility treatment costs, so medication, medical procedures covered by our public health. If we look from the patient's perspective, well, we included loss of earnings because for attending, for example, the Fit for Fertility program or having to take time off work to get to the fertility treatments, fees regarding parking, transport, babysitting, hosting for fertility treatments and also for the Fit for Fertility program, medication and fertility treatments that were not covered by our public health insurance, and any other fees for consulting other health professionals because of their problem with obesity or infertility. The main source of costs for the society's perspective, if we look at the broader perspective, was the fertility treatments. So the total average cost per patient was around 4,000. And for the Fit for Fertility program only, it was around $2,100 per patient. And this is in Canadian dollars. And from the health system's perspective, these costs were around $1,400 per patient for the fertility treatments and around $1,200 for the Fit for Fertility program per patient. The cost-effective analysis sounds like it was very in-depth. So in conclusion, you know, when you think about what you found in the study, are there any recommendations that come out of this? Is, is Fit for Fertility a good way to go or are the costs associated with it still possibly a barrier of some kind? It's a very good question. Our intervention, if we look at the costs, the costs related to women having access to the Fit for Fertility program are higher compared to the women who had access to the usual standard of care because we have to add the costs re related to the program itself. But our program was also significantly more effective. So if we look, for example, uh, for the fertility outcomes, we had a pregnancy rate of around 61% for the women in the intervention group compared to around 37% for the control group. So wow. women having access to the usual standard of care. And if we look even more at the spontaneous pregnancy rate, so pregnancies occurring without the help of fertility treatments, we had a pregnancy rate of 33% in the intervention group compared to 12% in the control group. So it was very significant and very clinically significant for these women. And the live birth rate was around 51% in the intervention group and 37 in the control group. So yes, we do have higher costs related to the Fit for Fertility program, but we also have a higher effectiveness. And for the cost-effectiveness analysis, it's important to understand how we do it. Typically, we're going to calculate what we call an incremental cost-effectiveness ratio. So basically, it's the difference of costs between two possible interventions divided by the difference in their effects. And in our case, we had what we call a positive ICER. So we had an intervention that was more costly, but also more effective. So what we found is that our ICER, our incremental cost effectiveness ratio, was around $12,600 per additional live birth occurring because of the Fit for Fertility program compared to the usual standard of care. So it may seem a lot of money to have an additional live birth, but we do think that such an intervention as the Fit for Fertility program could be considered efficient compared to the usual standard of care. If we give access to women with obesity and infertility to a program such as the Fit for Fertility program, well, yes, there are costs associated to that type of program, but it also increases their chances of conceiving and giving birth, which is difficult to put a tag 
on to see what are we willing to pay to have another live birth from our society's perspective, from our healthcare's perspective, and also from the patient's perspective as well. There is a study that reported that patients are ready to pay around 16,000 Canadian dollars to have access to IVF in order to conceive. So if we compare our ICER of around $12,600 per live birth, well, we could easily say if we're ready to pay for IVF, well, we could also be ready to pay for a program such as a Fit for First Daily program, which may not only have benefits on a woman's fertility, but it also could have larger benefits in improving her health in the long run, maybe decreasing the costs related to different health conditions that she would develop, for example, diabetes in the future by changing her lifestyle habits being young and before becoming pregnant. You mentioned the outcomes between those who were on the Fit for Fertility program and those who weren't, and they were very significant. Uh, do you think that your research might impact care overall for patients with obesity and infertility, or what you're finding, is that going to possibly be used in other locations? We really do hope so. We, In our research, we implicated government stakeholders and directors from our fertility clinic in hope to convince them to cover the costs associated to programs such as the Fit for Fertility program, and also to integrate that type of program in the clinical setting of different fertility clinics. We think it could represent an advantage for a fertility clinic to offer such a program because it increases and could diversify the options in the health services that they can offer to their patients and increase their patient chances to conceive and give birth. So we do think, we hope, we aren't there yet, but we do hope that we can convince the different stakeholders to implement such a program in our different clinical setting. And currently we are doing a multi-center randomized control trial here in Canada, where we have six different centers implicated and we really want to want to replicate our results and to see if what we observe here in Sherbrooke, Quebec, Canada is not specific to our fertility clinic, but it could be implemented in different clinical settings as well. I really enjoyed our discussion. Thank you so much for sharing your research with us today. Thank you very much for your interest. That's all for this episode. As always, thank you for listening to the Endocrine News Podcast. If you'd like to hear more of these, check us out on endocrine.org slash podcast or Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying these, please let us know by leaving a review on Apple. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at endocrine.org. Thanks again. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.